1: When you're committed, then it absolutely can and will happen. Someday doesn't exist and tomorrow is not promised. Motivation and inspiration fades. What happens when that's gone, right? In this world like, you need willpower, you need this. No, we need systems, routines, and supporting habits. You know, you don't get in life what you want. You get in life what you are.
0: Tanya MFK's purpose is to inspire others to let go of someday and live their best life right now. Tanya MFK is a business and life strategist specializing in specific action steps for goals, success, big picture planning, and personal growth. With over 16 years of experience in global marketing, business development, and planning strategy, she leads courses and workshops, retreats, and planning intensives to guide you to create a business and life you love. She's also the host of my Design Life show and podcast, Featured on FM Radio, UI Media Network, online platforms, and globally through BingeNetworks.tv. Interviewing Tanya today was a fantastic gift. It was exactly what I needed. The stories that she has overcoming the death of her husband at 25 years old, to taking her life over to China and living with the Shaolin monks for a year, to learning Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic medicine over in India, getting married and living in the Czech Republic... And just really living this like elevated life that is truly saying yes to herself is fantastic. Now what she does today to help business owners to create systems that allow them to get their lives back and with strategies and routines and habits that work, she has it all. And I really encourage you guys to dig into her as a mentor and a coach and to really look closely at what she's putting out there because she's right. We're not promised tomorrow. And I know that if you let go of this someday thing and you put your actual priorities in the calendar and you team up with people that care about those priorities, you will do them. And Tanya is definitely the person to tune into with that. So with that, I know that you will enjoy today's episode with today's person of purpose, Tanya MFK. Hello, Tanya. Welcome to the People of Purpose podcast. So wonderful to have you and your big smile here today. Appreciate it. (laughs)
1: Absolutely. I'm so excited to be here and dive into some good stuff.
0: Yeah. So we, we got to talking before and it, it's really cool that you have a podcast as well. So I'm sure that you kind of understand you know, how to have a really quality conversation with someone. So I'm really excited to kind of see the back and forth and like the level of questions and answers being thrown out in the interview because it's really rare for me to interview someone else that has a podcast. So I'm really excited about that.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, we got two talkers on the line. So everybody better just strap in, guys. It's <laughs> this is, this is going for a ride.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, I guess I wanted to first start off with, uh, with saying that we got connected to Benjamin Hardy. Um, he was a guest, I think, maybe about 10 episodes ago when he came out with his book, Personality Isn't Permanent. I would say I've never prepared so much for an interview as that one because he gave me like a pre-release copy of the book. If felt like a super legit official process. And then uh we we've gotten connected through that. So I'm excited to see some of the similarities you have with his mindset. Cause that that mindset really resonates with me. Um
1: yeah, Ben's a great guy.
0: Yeah. But what I wanted to what I wanted to start with was you you kind of said, so I have I have every guest fill out um a guest document. And in that document, uh one of the questions is like kind of like what's your legacy? And I thought you had a super interesting answer for that. Um, and I just wanted to pull out some of the lines of it. You said that you were born in orange, California, in 1980, best known for her work, changing the approach to small business growth by focusing on self mastery as the path to better business. She gave several Ted talks, inspiring many to take unique paths in their life. And her book, it will be different was a bestseller selling over 10 million copies and translated into over 100 languages. Well, <laughs> this is awesome. Like why, how did you come (laughs) up with such a specific legacy? Why this legacy? Why the title of your book that's so specific? (laughs) What's the purpose behind all of this?
1: Oh, wow. I love that you pulled that out. So, um, everything that I do in my work is really specific to action. It's, you know, we move from the theory, the motivation, all of these great concepts that are existing and have been swirling around since you know, the days from Buddha to Alan Watts, you know, Carl Jung, all of these days, we have these amazing concepts that people can listen to and have these aha moments. But the truth comes down to, a lot of us just don't know what that looks like and what that means in our day-to-day lives. What what does that look like at 6am tomorrow? What does that look like when I'm eating dinner? How do I take all these great things? And so one thing that we do when we identify who we want to be and what we want our life to look like, what legacy we want to have is um, for us to write our obituaries, which may sound very morbid to some people, but I'm telling you, I promise you, it's actually a really exciting um, and, and definitely motivating experience. And so that was actually taken from that, the obituary that I wrote for myself. And it's about you know there there aren't any vague things. You know when you die, this is exactly what happened. And so you're really pushed to to visualize and and understand piece by piece what you really want. So if you wrote a book, what was the name of the book? How many pages were in the book? You know how many languages was it chanted in? What how did it work? What did you do? You know like really that yeah. that intimate level of understanding of the life you lived, which, when we do that when we're alive, it also gives us an intimate understanding of the path we need to take, and so that's where that came from.
0: Yeah, I love that. That's so cool. What would you say is like the the whole purpose behind all of your your obituary? Like, what is it that that really um, you know rides under this, or or supplies like the whole energy source to to going and living this type of of, of legacy?
1: Well, you know, I know that I want to go big. I know I want to inspire, but what does that mean? And it really comes from my own experience of having a rough upbringing coming from poverty. Uh, My mom was a 16-year-old runaway when she had me and was selling drugs to just kind of make ends meet. And when my father left or over when she left, my father, actually, we went through um, bouts of homelessness. We were living in homeless shelters and just going through a life of scarcity. It was definitely where I was coming from. And so when I was in school, I knew that there wasn't college or anything like that for me in the U.S., you know, um it's not, it's not free. You know, education isn't free after you, after you get out of um, grade school. And so I really took that as I'm going to get as much education as I can, like as free as I can, like I'm going to mooch the system as much as I can because there is nothing else left for me outside of this. And so I had this, this scarcity mindset and I went right from high school straight into working in healthcare. And I was just, I, I had to, i had to find this stability i wanted to find this it wasn't even abundance it was safety like i wanted to just know that i would live a life where i knew where the next meal was coming from and i knew that there was a roof over my head and so i i pushed for this and i was working 18-hour days, and I was this young person. All my friends are going through college, and I'm, you know, I'm I'm getting a career, and I'm moving up the ladder, you know, back in those days. So date how old I am is, you know, we're making like $7 an hour, which was like, wow, and then it was $9 and $11, and I was like, whoa, I'm moving up, and then eventually I started running a clinical research department in immunology, studying HIV and AIDS, and running over 36 clinical studies there, and just pushing and pushing and pushing. And I got married at age 21 and it was like, okay, I got to create this life. I got to create this life. I got to work. I got to do these things. And so it was working more, saving money. You know, I, I had a plan for everything. It was all scheduled out. And if my husband, which at one time he spent $3.29 outside of the budget that he was supposed to spend and I flipped out on him, right? I just lost it. Cause like, that's not the plan. We got, this is not the time to enjoy anything. <laughs> the time to enjoy life is later on down the road because we got to do it first, right? And then in my mind, there was going to be this date that I arrived. There was going to be some point in the future where it was all going to be okay. It was all going to be all right. It was going to be time to relax and rest and enjoy. And so on March 19th, 2005, which conveniently was also my birthday, My husband was diagnosed with cholangiocarcinoma, fourth stage of um, cholangiocarcinoma, which is uh, cancer of the bile duct, and he passed away July 5th, that same year, just a couple months later. And it was in that moment (laughs) that I realized, you know, all this time that I was waiting to live, waiting for this perfect day in the future to enjoy my life with him, to enjoy my day, to enjoy the sunset or our garden or whatever that was gone. That that didn't exist. It was gone. And so when you ask about why that legacy, why looking at living my life that way, it's because that gives me a path of what to live now. So I'm not going to wait to someday in the future where I, you know, gave my Ted talk or wrote that book. I already know. What am I doing now? I'm working on that book. I'm working on that, you know, that future already and I'm going to live it big and I'm making it real now. And so that's where that comes from. That's where
0: the inspiration comes from. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Wow. That's, that's heavy stuff. That's, big, that's definitely a big deal to, um, to be losing your father at such a young age and, and to know that you had so much more to be giving and, and doing together. Sorry, you went through that. Um, it's really cool to see how you transform your pain into, kind of into your purpose now. And I'm sure that there's a lot of people out there that don't have to go through that experience because they found you.
1: Well, and, you know, and that's one of the things that we talk about a lot is that, and I think Joe Spence is the one who said this: was that if we can, if we can make changes in the face of tragedy and trauma, do well. He doesn't say this part, but first of all, think about that. There's, that's really when people have these life changing shifts, right? The, the cancer diagnosis, the big car accident, the big trauma. Um, maybe someone close to you goes through that, and it affects you. Whatever it is, all of us, all of a sudden. <laughs> We found the time. All of a sudden, we could step back and see life through different lens. But if we can do that in the midst, and this is where the Jonas Benza quote comes through, if we can do that in the midst of that tragedy and trauma. How much how much more wonderful is it if we can do it in the moments of peace and joy? If we don't have to wait for that slap in the face or that wake-up call outside of our quote-unquote control, because we don't really have control. You know, If we can do it without having that, right? like. How much more wonderful we can do? We can we can create so many amazing things without that ton of you know heartache and struggle and all of those things. And so, absolutely, that is um hopefully, like you said, hopefully that is it that you can hear that and go, wow, yeah, I actually do have a choice and something I can do now. I do have time because, like I said, when you find this, when time finds you, if that's what you're waiting for, if you're waiting for that time in life to be like, oh, I'll have time when the when the kids get older, I'll have time. When the kids go to college, I'll have time. Once they get married and the wedding's done, I'll have time. Once it is, you know what you, when you're, the time's going to find you, it's when you're resting in peace, right? That's when you're going to find the time. So let's not wait till then. All right. Let's wait. Let's, let's not wait at all. Let's, let's do it now. Let's make some conscious choices now. That's, that's yeah. what I'm talking about.
0: <laughs> yeah. Makes sense. Wow. What, what would you say was, was, What were you equipped with to be able to make that kind of decision to to move forward in a much more like positive, optimistic, changed way when your father died? Because a lot of people could have gone the opposite path where you get addicted to substances, you get in abusive relationships, you find depression. What was it that that allowed you to kind of take the correct in the road there.
1: Well, well, one thing just to clarify it was my husband who died. So when I was 21, my husband died, um, not my father. My father left with, uh, you know, we, my mom left my father when I was a child. So when I was 25, it was my husband that died. And so um, there's a few things I think that gave me some structure. Um, I was very fortunate that my mom connected with a very prominent figure, which it became a very prominent figure in my life, was someone who was kind of her quote-unquote adopted mom someone that she met through the church my mom's uh, a religious person I'm not but uh, we did grow up within that structure and that um that woman was a counselor name was Diane She's amazing um deserves her name to be said so um she's a counselor and so when my so I did have struggles definitely I had the teenage years that were wild and things and struggled but I I, my grades stayed good so I was very focused academically I knew what I needed to do to get through and I think that was maybe part of the cleverness, part of the hustle. You know, my mom was, you know, as a kid, she was selling drugs. So like, you know, and then she went into the Christian, she switched and <laughs> she went into to her kind of uh, religious life. But, um, but, you know, there was some clever hustle. I think that was always there. So I always knew like how to kind of make things work and to make things better. You know, it was, going to the thrift store and figuring out how to make those clothes look like the cool clothes that the other kids had that I couldn't have, or, you know, getting the right. shoes and I would like cut them up to kind of make them look like what was hip at the time. And, um, I, I mean, I could, I could do amazing things with milk crates to make them look like shelves and stuff. I and mean, this is how I decorated our house. Cause when we had, when, you know, the few times we had somewhere to live, it, we didn't have much. So I think there's part of that gusto, but then, and Diane coming in, my being a counselor, she would always meet with me and my brother. And of course, my mom was always trying to fix us because you know, we were the <laughs> So it was like, these kids are out of control. So I, I was very resistant because what kid wants to do that? But there were so many pieces of that that um, I took with me, you know, learning I statements, talking about your own responsibility in a situation, talking about like your ownership in things that you don't get to blame everyone. And so hearing those concepts at such a young age Um, before, you know, I may have may or may not have gone into the self-development world or personal development world. Um, I was hearing these things much younger. So I think that was probably a strong, um, pillar that helped me as I continued to push on through that. Um, that's that I would say that, and then, you know, having a good, I did have a good support system. You know, I did have people that I knew. So when my husband did die, you know, there was, um, there were lots of people around in our network who we called on. And, and sometimes, you know, it, it's, it's our own ego that doesn't allow us to call on other people. So we might think, well, those people won't be there for me. And then we, we believe, we, we cre- self, you know, create that we don't have a good support system. But it'd be surprised who shows up when you actually ask. And so, mm-hmm. I, yes, I had a good support system, but I also want to say in that, that a lot of us probably have a better support system than we think. We just don't ask. And so, um, so I would say those are the two things that kept me from going, the the depression, the giving up. And I will say this, um, I don't know how long we want to go on this particular topic, but I will say this, two things. Um, one, I I had a friend who actually just kind of had a moment where they stepped back and they were like, you know, Tanya, it's really cool that you're, you're here, like that you're just doing this. And at the time I was actually working with bands and it was one of the musicians that I was working with. He's like, it's just really cool that you're here because... You know, like you could have just you could have just went crazy, and everyone would have been like, "No, oh, we understand." You know, she went she was went through that hard thing, and I, I almost would have been. The way he explained it was like I would have been given permission to give up, not necessarily have been like, "Come on, you got to do." they like, "Well, you know, she went nuts, but she went through that hard thing, right?" Mm-hmm. So, like, and how like sad is that in so many ways that you know, when they, if we don't know what to do and others don't know what to do, like sometimes they'll just give us, we'll, we'll get permission to give up. They'll say, I get it. So fine. Give up. Um, the other thing, uh, that I was going to say with that is, you know, when I was going to say something else there, but I just lost it. That was one thing that was that you can give them permission to give up. And that is not what, that's not what you want. That's, not so much more that we can do. So if the other part comes back to me, I'll bring it back. It was it was a strong one, but I, I just lost it there. Sorry about that.
0: <laughs> no, that's okay. So it was your husband that died at 25?
1: Yes. Yes. My husband wow. passed away. So I was married at 21 and then he was diagnosed on my birthday, 2005 and passed away. Um, three months later,
0: Jeez. four months later. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We can pick back up. Um, let me just mark the time that we'll need to delete here. Sure, yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. So, you had a very uh big opportunity here to kind of decide to go crazy and and you know have all this like self justified, you know, erratic behavior that probably would have not done a whole lot of good for towards your purpose and your path, or you could have kind of gone on the pathway you have gone on since, um. I, th- I just think that's a really really interesting fork in the road and I'm really curious about how how do you think clearly how do you get grounded in your purpose like it sounded like you and your mom were not on the right you know didn't have the fully rounded relationship that you that you were looking for your husband who I'm imagining would probably be your best friend was the was pat was the one that passed away how how do you how did you have clarity was there some sort of like um, person that entered your life or mentor? Or was it you know a, a faith belief you had? Or what is it that allowed you to kind of make that correct decision at such a key age of your life?
1: That is a wonderful question. Um, one thing I'll say is I actually remember the other part of what I want to say, and this may connect to what we're saying now. The other thing as far as giving the permission to lose it and go crazy, that was one. The second was I was encouraged by some friends and family members to go to like a grieving support group. And so I I you yeah, know I was like yeah I'll try whatever I need to do. So I I went to the group. And I got in there and obviously it's kind of a somber room, you know, <laughs> we're there to grieve. It's a grieving group. And I was, you know, not unexpectedly, the one of the youngest people there and there was a gal who was kind of in the midst of a breakdown and just crying and just going, I can't, I just can't, um, I can't believe it. I just can't believe this is my life, that this is where, how how everything's worked out. And all of these statements were, you know, very familiar sounding to me. And then she said, you know, it's it's been 12 years and and I, like everything else fell away. And I was like, 12 years now, I'm not saying we need to like, you know, never have any residual pain. I mean, I I can still, I still absolutely can get teary eyed, have those moments and things like that. But um, if I am at that level of grief in 12 years like that, I I was able to look at that moment and at least have, if nothing else, if I didn't know what my life was going to look like or what I wanted it to look like, I had an example of what I did not want it to look like right Mm. there. I was like that, is not living. And my husband was so gracious. And you guys see, he was, he was diagnosed on my birthday, which means he had four months of, of basically knowing he was going to die. And so we had an amazing time to talk, to discuss, to think about the quote unquote future, you know, for him, for myself. Um, so that as well, when you ask, like, was there a mentor or someone that entered my life? I think that was a huge gift as well, because There are many people who have lost someone close to them in an instant, whose lives have changed in an instant. Uh, Mine was fast in some ways, and in other ways, you know, I had a lot more time than losing the loved one who was crossing the street. So that was a huge gift and gave me a lot of reflection time. And uh, I think that just continued on to when I started to, move in the next steps of my life, I was able to kind of take those principles. And then for me, a huge saving grace was that um, the last amount of money that I had, you know, at this point, I didn't want to go back to the medical field. That's where I just lived in hospitals for four months. I didn't want to go back to the medical field. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. You know, I, (laughs) I had no idea. You know, I was at this weird crossroads in my life. I, I didn't have a, I wasn't living on my own anymore. I was back in my parents' house, you know, his hospice, you know, was being basically at my parents' house, but my mom and my stepdad at this point, they had come, you know, come a long way. And so um, they had their place to live and, and we had moved in there because all the nurses and things were coming in And so I was here at my parents' house. I'm 25 years old. I'm not going back to work. I don't really have money, you know, and I had a little bit of savings, but it was all going very fast to pay funeral costs and all of those things. So I had a friend who called me and she said, hey, um, I know this is maybe a really bad time, but if you remember a couple months ago, you know, we all said we were going to go to Europe and, you know we're still going if you want to go and, first of all, just traveling like that in general was like a huge, that was like, you know, people, quote unquote, people like me don't get to do things like that, right? That was kind of the idea. People like me don't get to do trips like that. And so even the fact that we had considered it when my husband was around and alive and and feeling great um, was just a, uh, already a big step for us to be like, yeah, let's try to do it. So now it's there. And she's like, you know, if you want to do it. And I was like, you know what? I don't have I have no place to live. I have no job. I have no money. You know, like I had the couple of thousand left to to pay, you know, to maybe start my future. And I was like, I don't know. And she probably said the wisest thing that she's ever said to me, which was, or maybe that's exactly the best time because you have no job, <laughs> you have no rent to pay, <laughs> you have nowhere to go. And I was like, huh. Unfortunately, I, I talked about it with a couple of, you know, other trusted, you know, friends and family and they, you know, they were kind of assured me that, you know, if I did something crazy like that, then, um, yeah, they, you know, they'd still help me out and help me get on my feet when I came back. And so we, we left to Europe, um, that's October 2005 or September 2005, and that was my first trip, a uh, real big trip out of the country. I, I'm from California, so and I'm Mexican, so we go to Mexico. It doesn't really count if you're California and it's like it's just an extension of California. I mean it's literally called Baja California, but it was my real like overseas like you know trip seeing new cultures and things and it was extremely eye-opening for me um, growing up in America going to California, um, having this idea, you know, this romanticism that gets put onto Europe, especially, right? So Europe has this, you know, it's the Paris cafes and the Italian, this and all that. And and we, I, you know, I went to all those places. I went to Greece. I went to Italy. uh, I went to, um, I went to Paris. I, I did those things. And I, in my head, it was like this, this poor girl (laughs) was doing this amazing thing. And it was also that it was, it was actually accessible it wasn't this thing that everyone seemed to make it out to be, that it was a so huge, unattainable, giant thing that you needed to save, you know, tons of money and you could only go for two weeks or a week or whatever. And, you know, once in a lifetime dream vacation, I was like, this is really like, I'm young and, you know, we're paying $17 to stay in a place and, you know, hopping on trains. And of course not everyone wants that vacation, but at the time, like it worked out really well. And and that was I think the biggest that, that's the answer right there to your question is like, was it a mentor? It no, it was really it was that eye-opener of that trip that these dreams, these things that we hold as so big and unaccessible is a big fat lie that we've created in our head. And you know, there's society and those things have added to it, but we've 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 taken it on as true. And I saw how it was, it was so accessible to anyone who wanted to really make it happen. And that was, that's where the rest of this has formed, is that when you really want it to happen, when you go, yes, like you've heard Benjamin Hardy say, when you're committed, not just that you're interested, when you're committed, then it, it absolutely can and will happen. And that's the huge difference. That's what opened that whole thing up to keep me from going into the humdrum of of what i could have with my life and been like well you know that was a rough ride and i'm just going to kind of play it safe from now on because i don't want another thing like that happening in my life um it was it was making this bold decision to do something that didn't make sense um and 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 then what it gave back to me was an entirely new direction in my life and that was that priceless. Is beautiful
0: that is beautiful <laughs> I mean yeah travel travel and close friends and new experiences and peak experiences um are very powerful things and I I think at this point like I did some of my first traveling I think 2005 was also the same year I first went out of the country and at that point it was it was definitely like a a very a, a very big deal um to be able to to head out and like you know face this big adventure that you know new culture and new surroundings, everything's brand new your your parents and family, and people are all scared for you in this irrational way <laughs> um, Hell yeah. <laughs> my
1: mom was terrified <laughs> and yeah. this was before it's like smartphones well as you know if you went in 2005 so there was no google maps there was so you had to like go to internet cafes to try to find the next place to stay you know there wasn't i did like you know use pay phones were still a thing back then guys like this Right, was, it was like a <laughs> lot
0: of uh you have to actually like ask local people where things are <laughs> yeah. and like they would they yeah. would follow you there and walk with you and make sure that you you were there, and you're. I mean, you're definitely not connected to like some four G connection at all. Time.
1: Right, right. that's just not happening.
0: It's a very, very like uh, can be very disorienting, and I think in this way it was very good for you to have that disorientation because yeah. you'd been so oriented on thinking about your loss and the tragedy and all these sort of mm-hmm. things. It's it's really good to have your your attention steered to something else. Um, and yeah, I just want to underscore the importance of travel here because that's what I'm hearing is how how important it was to be able to step out of your comfort zone, out of your normal environment and be with people that really brought out the best in you in a whole new culture of of society. And yeah, it's awesome.
1: Yeah. And I, you know, and I think, you know, I have a predisposition just from my own preferences, like for, for travel, obviously, you know, I had the dreams of, you know, I I used to look at National Geographic as a kid and I had, you know, Machu Picchu, which, you know, I'm so excited that I did get there in 2012 and all that, but you know, if travel, if you're hearing this and you're like, well, travel is not my thing. It's not that travel itself is, I mean, I do think it's magical. Um, but you know, yeah. there are people that I, it's hard for me to understand the same way. It's hard for me to understand that people don't like massages, but it, they, these people exist. And so if you're, <laughs> if you're one of those people, the lesson to take out of that, this part is that it's about doing something big that seems unreasonable that's out of your comfort zone that you've wanted to do so for some of you that may be taking the dance class that does makes no sense you're not going to become a ballerina it's not going to be your future and you're like why would i do it and but there's something in you that's like but i want to do it. That is the thing that is going to open up new doors and new places in your life, new shifts in perspective that will give you that obituary <laughs> that is worth reading, you know? So, so take that from it. If you're hearing this, you're like, but I don't want to go, you know, to India. That's okay. Find the thing though, that you are playing small with, that you're,
0: mm-hmm.
1: that you're saying someday, or I wish I could and make it into, I did. Mm that's what I'm
0: going to say. Beautiful. That is a beautiful highlight statement so far, of the interview. I love that. Um, Yeah. Before we shift into kind of talking about what it is you're doing nowadays to, uh, you know, to capture this, I do want to kind of go on this like side tangent about uh, this year you spent in Shaolin living at a temple and around (laughs) that time as well, you studied Chinese medicine and herbology how does all of that play into into, into this? yeah?
1: Well, it's actually a perfect segue because this really is also kind of a, a transition, not only from my my life now and why I do what I do now. So, obviously, a big part of the inspiration of of this not living for some day comes from this experience of losing my husband at 25 and fueled the the chances that I took and the things that I did. And so after going to Europe and having this like, wow, life is so much more accessible. These dreams are more accessible, can happen now. You know, I went on this kind of lofty 25 year old excursion where we still have these like bright eyes. Um, not that we actually have to lose those, but we have these bright eyes of like, so I was, I was looking at what do I do? Because... You know, I came from the medical field and that's what I was qualified for. And be honest, they pay really well. So, um, especially as I had gotten older in these positions, I was qualified for, um, But I just didn't want to be there. And it was such a hard thing to do. Like it was practical and it made sense to be there, but I didn't want to be there. So I started collecting cans for the homeless and I started working, um, you know, selling purses at festivals and doing all this. When I ended up working, um, I had some bands that I knew and I ended up working with them and specifically with a hip hop artist, I started managing him. And this is back in the days of MySpace and, uh, you know, Napster was just happening, like digital music. People were really resistant, to like oh, digital music, like the people would throw away or like, we'd have little strips of paper to get a free digital download and people were like, like, that's worthless, you know, give me a CD, right? So, um,
0: mm-hmm. so I
1: was doing that and I went all the way from a... From kind of this grassroots guerrilla marketing situation with a hip-hop artist and moved all the way up to the first round of grammy nominations with him and so um no we run on tv but when you go through the grammy process there's like different levels of the process and elimination and so we got it to the first round which was like huge right just just to even be like even close to any of it we were like wow and so that actually brought me into um, getting noticed kind of within the industry of marketing by like kind of as a Mm. go-getter and someone who came up. And so from there, I ended up working in CPG, which is consumer packaged goods, which is basically anything that you buy. But I was specifically working within natural products. So for those of you in the U.S., all those things on a shelf and in whole foods. I've worked with most of those companies. Um, I also worked with Nestle, a lot of those water, the huge water bottle section. I worked with a lot of those companies as well. Um, so working within that industry, um, felt aligned at the time because I came from healthcare, at least natural products felt like good. And I loved going to natural products. Expo. It was like my Disneyland, which is in California and across the street conveniently from Disneyland actually. But, um, <laughs> I I did that until I was working was doing national marketing at that level. So I'd really kind of come up to this new place in my life. And from there, I ended up getting recruited into another business that was working with a a former NBA star, a Clippers star, and um, another person who, who became my mentor. And I ended up being the CMO, Chief Marketing Officer in that company, which was helping kids. Uh, it was basically a physical education for kids in like a charter school setting. So I was kind of involved in all of these around the same time, actually. And life was looking pretty good in a lot of ways. Like I that that house that I was always hoping to have, that roof over my head was there. I had my first you know grown up car you know that I paid for and was like working. You know i always like I'd always lived in this kind of scarcity. So even if I had money, I'd buy like the cheapest car that was like I can fix it. It's you know falling apart, and I always had this mindset. So I kind of finally was coming into this place of things like looked good on paper, but I still, I wasn't fully there. Right. You know, cause outside circumstances don't create our internal happiness guys. So, um, I had all the things that I get, I thought I had wanted, you know, at that level in my life was really just stability. And, um, at the time, my the artist that I was working with, he was on tour in China. He had a contract with Chivas Regal, and he was doing a, a tour in China. And he was like, you got to come out here. Like, it's wild out here. It's just so different. He was living in Shanghai. And I just... As a traveler, China was really low on my list. And I was like, I just, yeah, I'm kind of doing stuff out here. I don't really want to go. He's like, you got to go. And then he ended up with uh, extending his contract. China is a really big country. And so, um, you know, there's people really liked what he was doing. So they extended to do another tour and then another tour. And so he kept trying to get me to go out there. And I was like, look, if I go to China, the only thing I really want to do is like, I want to see the Shaolin Temple and like probably the Great Wall. Like, that's about it. I don't really care about Shanghai. I'm really, really into it. And so he got a hold of me one night. And he's like, you know, I found this program. It's a foreign, you know, for foreigners and not just foreigners, but women, <laughs> foreigner women can train at the Shaolin Temple. And I was like, what? Like, that sounds crazy. And he was like, yeah, you should check it out. So I checked it out. I was like, yeah, it looks cool. Like, you can learn how to, you know, break sticks over your shin and, you know, bricks and the whole thing, right? Mm-hmm. And then, of course there was Tai Chi and there was meditation and there's a picture of this cool temple and the whole vibe, right? And I was never necessarily hugely into Kung Fu. Like I thought it was cool and stuff, but I wasn't like this fan. I had practiced it. I just... Um I thought, you know, I saw some cool stuff. There's a thing called Shaolin Wheel of Life. If you ever get a chance to watch it, that shows you like real Shaolin monks and just the capabilities. And that blew me away. I was like, wow, people are doing like superhuman stuff, but it's like real, like not, not the f- Kung Fu movies, which are still cool. They're doing that stuff, but you know, there's lots of enhanced. So this one was like really cool. So I was like, man, that could, that could be kind of cool. And so over a couple of drinks with my mentor, talking about work and whatnot, I was like, you know the artist I work with in China mentioned this Shaolin thing. You know, that's kind of cool. Right. And I think he picked <laughs> up on that. Like, I think he picked up on like, I was saying more in that. And so a couple of days later, he's like, you know, if you want to do something like that right now, is a good time for you to do something like that. Cause the business isn't a good place. Um, you're, you're getting, you know, you're good age, you know, like you <laughs> know to go, I'm not like 60, trying to go do it, which Hey, we had 60 years old though too. So let me discourage you on that. Um, but he was like, He's like, just go do it. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I was just kidding. Right. There's always some, there's no such thing. There's always some truth in what we say, but I was like, no, no, no. Like, that's crazy. I just have my house. I have my car. Like, come on. And he's like, think about it. But if you want to do it, like you have my blessing, you can work from there if you need to, but like, it's going to be fine. Take a year off. And, um, I know that doesn't happen for everybody. So I was very fortunate to even be offered that. And, and I, you know, I'd worked for it. So, um, so yeah, I, uh, after a lot of deliberation and I, I sold everything, stuck the rest that I didn't want to get rid of yet in storage. And I left to train at the Shaolin temple for a year in China. And so yeah. <laughs> that was, that was quite an experience. Um, my first day I was like, what did I get myself into? I was definitely thinking like, there's no way I'm going to stay here. This is crazy. What was I thinking? Right? So this is that going big guys, like taking it just out of your comfort zone. I wasn't even a Kung Fu enthusiast. I'm living at a temple in China. Like what my friends were like, wait, you're doing what now? And they're like, I didn't even know you liked Kung Fu. I was like, eh, just. <laughs> Why not, so um, I did it, and it was phenomenal. Um, I ended up falling for kung Fu, actually. Um, I had an amazing chifu, and uh, really it, it is so much different as they always say you know, it 's not at all about the fighting it 's this discipline it 's pushing yourself it 's so much inner work that you don 't realize you 're doing when you're just practicing the punch or, you know, we used to do a thousand kicks every Thursday and you know, that, that 800th kick where you're like, I cannot do any more. And then you do, you do 200 more. And, uh, it's so, it is so phenomenal. So from there, I actually got an opportunity. I found an opportunity for, um, Studying traditional Chinese medicine at Shanghai University, and so I applied for that, got accepted, and did that that program there for a while. I actually lived on campus, and I was so addicted to kung fu. I actually found a, somebody to train me while I was there, so that was uh, that was pretty neat. And I ended up meeting um, my my husband now. Um, actually he was also training at the Shaolin temple and, wow. uh, yeah. And so people always ask, how did you guys meet? He's, he's from Czech Republic. He's from Czech Republic. You're from California. I'm like, well, at the temple in China, of course, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's where one does meet their future. Uh, Is that husband. a place
0: where you can have like romance going on? Or no, like no, really? no. Yeah.
1: No, we are, our relationship began to kind of flourish literally like the last two weeks of our being there. And so I was leaving from the Shaolin Temple to go to, to India to study Ayurvedic medicine. And nice. so um, I said, hey, if you want to come to India, come along. And he did. He he took a chance and was like, "All right, let's see what this is about." And so he uh, lived there with me at the school while I went through Ayurvedic medicine in India, and we kind of continued that. We actually ended up traveling for another year and a half uh, through South America, uh, Central America, and um, did our like scuba license together. I got my uh, yoga certification, did all those things, and then. And then I found out I was pregnant and we went to uh, California for a while and then we decided to move to Czech. So I actually, I actually live in Europe now. <laughs> so
0: Man. coming full
1: circle. <laughs> that's Incredible.
0: where I am. Yeah. I love it. I like how you, you build these like bridges of understanding for us, you know, m- more normal people, I guess, um, to <laughs> how you can take these huge leaps of faith um, and that you've, you've gotten other people to take them with you. Yeah. And now you have a husband, you're living in a, the Czech Republic and you, (laughs) it's super cool. And I also like really resonate with your, with your desire to go learn all those different medicine systems. Uh, Chinese, China's the one I haven't done yet, but I did the Ayurveda and the yoga teacher stuff in India. And that was, it's still deeply in, in me. And acupuncture and Chinese medicine is what, what got me out of this fog. I used to be in when I had a really bad concussion Um, So I'm super grateful for those medicine systems. And it's really cool to see that you have taken the the dive and gone fully immersed (laughs) into it. Well, and
1: you know, like I, I, it's, I'm stuttering here, but it's interesting because, I have two reactions that I get from people with this. You know, I get like a, wow, that's amazing. And then I also get like, wow, it must be nice. Right. Cause again, that seems so unattainable. Like my boss isn't going to give me a year off right. and you know, I can't just take off to India or I can't. And again, the truth is, is that those are all beliefs that you're instituting. You can, you absolutely can. You can say all the reasons why it can be uncomfortable, why it could be difficult, but you can So if instead of focusing on all the reasons why you can't, we switch that and go, well, what how could it work? And then that's where we go, well, I'd have to quit my job. Okay, well, what does that really look like? You know, and I know those sound crazy. It absolutely sounds crazy. And that's why the majority of people don't do this. That's why the majority of people live the life they live and live a life by default live a life of a mediocrity and when i say mediocrity i don't mean that it has to be flashy it has to be wild you have to be trekking through the congo i mean that they're doing what's just come through their path they're not doing the things that fascinate them they're not doing the things that excite them they're not like i freaking love life they're like eh i'm i'm here right how many times do we hear that how's it going eh, it's going how Depressing is that statement. Of course it's going. <laughs> that's the only option you have. You know, that's unfortunately the only option you have. So you're you're at bare minimum there with this amazing gift that we have that can be absolutely incredible. And you get one chance. You get one chance. Time you do not get back. So why are we just go, it's going, like it's going, you know, it, you might as well be done now then, you know, and I'm not encouraging anyone to go off themselves here, but I'm just telling you, like, you know, this is the, this old saying, you know, life ends at 30, but you're dead at 75. Is that really where you want to be? And so you may hear these things and, and think of all the reasons why it doesn't make sense or you couldn't do it. Great. Now you have that list, make the other list how can it happen? How could it be? Is there a smaller version of it? Is there a baby step? Is there just the step of finding out how much the ticket costs? I mean, I, you can hear me. I'm getting on my soapbox here, but this is, I want that to be heard in this and and these stories because I I've heard it. I've heard it. And I, and I've gotten the Instagram DMS like, wow, I live vicariously through you. And there's no reason to live vicariously through me or anyone else to live vicariously at all we have, we can be in this flesh so fully present and living and enjoying it and doing whatever it is. And we have the power to make it happen. Um, if you're mm-hmm. not sure how to do that, call me, message me, cause I will give you some ideas. Um, because this is the only chance we got guys, like this is it, this, this is it. So, so I just want that to be said as well.
0: <laughs> I love that. I can t- I can feel your passion. Thank you for listening to part one of this interview with Tanya MFK on creating the best day of your life every day, letting go of someday mentality and taking action and living the best life right now. Be sure to listen to next week's episode as we wrap up our conversation with Tanya talking about her career identity, the distinct connection points between self-mastery and business, in the life of entrepreneurs, her planning and reflection sessions, and last but not least, the things she's unlearned fully step into her purpose and how this sense of purpose informs her commitment to self-mastery.